0: Have you ever had a significant event in your life overshadowed by something even more significant? Maybe it's a a birthday that is overshadowed by some sort of tragedy, or a holiday overshadowed by an even more joyous event that makes the holiday even more enjoyable and memorable, right, Tim and Patty? (laughs) They experienced a Memorable Christmas this year, welcoming their first grandbaby into the world. Have you ever experienced that? A a sporting event overshadowed by a serious injury, or an incredible achievement overshadowed by an even greater achievement? Some of us have experienced this directly. Many others of you have stories that come to mind, and we know this to be true in history. And because of this, history does not look upon all events equally. There are certain events that though they should be remembered and deserve to be talked about in history often get overlooked. Not necessarily because they're unimportant, but due to bad timing. I want to give you a few examples. How many of you know the name Harriet Quimby? Anybody ever heard of Harriet Quimby? Well, here's a picture of her up on the screen. She was one of the greatest early female aviators. In 1911, Quimby became the first woman to get her pilot's license with the Aero Club of America. On April 16, 1912, she completed a flight across the English Channel, becoming the first female to fly the Channel. Huge accomplishment, right? Worthy of note. But overshadowed because on April 15, 1912, the Titanic sank. Y'all know that story, right? Two and a half months later, Quimby died in an accident during an aviation contest in Boston. She and her accomplishments are just not remembered, like the sinking of the Titanic. Fast forward a few decades to... April 16, 1947, some of you Texans may uh, know about this event, many others don't, but in Texas City, Texas City suffered on that day one of the deadliest industrial accidents in U.S. history. A dock vessel carrying 2,300 tons of ammonium nitrate exploded, killing 581 people, injuring thousands. Though that was in the news, huge relief effort. The media were there on hand to cover this national tragedy. Most Americans, especially sports fans, remember the day before. April 15th, 1947, Jackie Robinson became the first black man to play Major League Baseball. To this day, April 15th is celebrated by every Major League team as Jackie Robinson day. On July 19th, 1969, an adventurous explorer named John Fairfax became the first person to row a boat across the ocean by himself. For six months, he rowed his boat across the Atlantic battling sharks and storms and exhaustion and landed on that day on July 19th in Florida. Though an incredible feat that should be remembered forever, believe it or not, it was overshadowed by another event on the next day. On July 20th, 1969, the Apollo 11 astronauts landed on the moon. Shortly thereafter became the first moonwalkers and and I read this morning that they they actually sent a letter to Fairfax. And and they responded in this way. They said, your accomplishment was the accomplishment of one. We were dependent upon thousands to do what we did. Pretty cool. Pretty cool in history. Here's one more. On June 17th, 1994, game five, of the NBA Finals was being played between the New York Knicks and the Houston Rockets. The two teams were were tied in the series. Great matchup, but in the middle of the game, they cut away from the game, first time that's ever happened, to follow live news coverage of OJ Simpson running from the police while riding in a white Ford Bronco. NBC actually showed the chase in full screen while airing the game in the bottom right-hand corner. Events in history overshadowed by another. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 27. We are continuing our Easter series. We've taken a break from our series through Hebrews. We're looking at Matthew's account of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in a series I've entitled Matthew's Easter Story. And in our passage for today, we are going to focus on a section of Scripture on an important event in history that often gets overlooked and glossed over because it is sandwiched in between the two most important events in human history. History. After the crucifixion and before the resurrection, there was this event of the burial of Jesus. And just like there were lessons to be learned last week by Matthew in the passage we looked at covering the, the time of, of darkness to the death of Jesus at Calvary, just like there will be lessons for us to learn in the next two weeks as we Get into Matthew 28 and look at the resurrection and talk about that. There are also lessons to be learned in the events surrounding Jesus' burial. And these lessons can be learned by us through studying the actions of three different groups of people who played a key part in Jesus' So we're going to look at the actions of these different groups of people this morning and the lessons to be learned by them. Notice first the boldness of a transformed Pharisee. And we learn in John it's Pharisees because there's two there, but but, uh, Matthew really focuses in on one. Look at verses 57 through 60. Matthew 27. When it was evening... To a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Now, scholars are torn over where Arimathea was actually located. We're told in Luke 23 50 that it was a Jewish city, which means it was located somewhere in the region of Judea. Some believe it was a few miles from Jerusalem, others say it was about 20 miles away. We're not for sure. What we do know about Joseph, other than being from Arimathea, is that he knew Jesus, he loved Jesus, he learned from Jesus, and he followed Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus, which is shocking because there's something else that we're not told here, but we're told in the other accounts about Joseph. Listen to Luke's account, Luke 23, verse 50. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. Mark says this in Mark 15, 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council. In some of your translations, it says a member of the Sanhedrin. That's right, that's what it means when it says he's a member of the council. He was a Pharisee, but not just any Pharisee. He was a leader among the Pharisees. He was in an elite group, the Sanhedrin. There were only 71, he was one of those. And this was a group that had orchestrated the betrayal, the trial, the beating, and the killing of Jesus. And we're told that he, Joseph, A Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, was a disciple of Christ. Now, how was he able to be that and still be a Pharisee? Well, John sheds some light on this. In John 19, he says that he was a disciple in secret for fear of the Jews. He was a secret disciple. You see, the Pharisees had been in the crowds where Jesus spoke. They had followed him from place to place. They had observed all that he said and did. But while most of the religious leaders looked to Jesus in a negative way, they did not believe him. They did not trust in him. They rejected him. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, we'll talk about him in a minute, another member of the Sanhedrin, they looked upon Jesus in faith. Joseph was a believer. He was a a follower of Jesus. Up to this point, he was in the shadows. But notice here, he emerges into the light. He steps up and out in boldness. He makes it known how he feels about Jesus. This is a very strange request that he makes by going to Pilate and asking for Jesus' body. Only family members did that of condemned criminals. Now, There's a few things that that Joseph had in mind here in wanting Jesus' body. One, because he loved Jesus, he wanted to give him the proper burial, which normally did not happen to those crucified at the hands of Romans. They would often let the animals devour their bodies Or they would take them to a certain place. They would dump the bodies and burn them. But I've read that there were exceptions made for crucifixions that took place around Jerusalem because of the Jewish presence there and their beliefs about corpses being out and exposed and how they would defile the land. That the Romans took that into account in order to keep the peace. They would take those. Who died by crucifixion around Jerusalem and they would place them in a common criminals grave so that's what the plans were for Jesus Joseph of Arimathea didn't want that for his friend he wanted Jesus to have a proper burial so he asked if he could take Jesus and bury him in his own tomb nearby so that's the first thing he had in mind He wanted to give Jesus a proper burial. The other thing he had in mind, requesting it when he did, was he wanted to get Jesus buried before 6 p.m. on that day. Now, remember the timeline. It's Friday, the day before the Sabbath. The reason we know that is because John tells us in John 19.31 that Jesus died on the day of preparation. That is, the day before the Sabbath Sabbath was on a Saturday this is taking place on Friday though in this day some preparation took place on Thursday remember the Old Testament that on Friday they gathered food for two days to prepare for the day of rest so that's the day of preparation that's why it's called that so it's Friday around three Jesus is already dead which is also unusual. We'll talk about that in just a minute. At 6 p.m. at sundown, the Sabbath begins. That's when the Jews recognize the seventh day of the week. Their days went from sundown to sundown, okay? So it begins at at 6, the Sabbath. It's also not just any Sabbath, but it's Passover as well. Very significant. And though Joseph was a disciple of Jesus He was also a devout and pious Pharisee as well. He knew he was to do no work. He is not to exert himself in any way after six. And there are also rules about Jews coming in contact with with the dead and how that defiles you as well. So Joseph is on a time crunch here. So he does two very bold things. First, He steps up and out for Jesus. He makes it known to his Jewish brothers who were probably looking on, and they knew later because they knew where the grave was, that he's a fan of Jesus. He's a follower of his. By stepping up and stepping out and offering up this odd request to bury Jesus in his family's tomb. This was also a very dangerous stance to make as well because we know Later, the actions of the Pharisees, right? And Jesus told his followers that these kinds of things would happen to them. He told his disciples, They will hate you because of me. You'll be put out of the temple. You'll not be allowed to meet in the synagogues. You'll be disowned by family. You'll be abandoned by friends. That's what Joseph risked by stepping up for Jesus. He risked losing everything. He was a rich man. He was in danger of losing all he had, yet, notice, he didn't hesitate to step up and out for Jesus. The loss was worth it, according to Joseph. And that's the application right there. Believers, may this be our perspective. We've said this before. God may not call for you and have it in the plans for you to lay it all down, even your own life, risk everything for Him and give it all away, but we need to be moving to the place spiritually where we can say alongside Joseph and others that Jesus is worth it. God makes it clear in His Word. We see it clearly in the actions of Christ's disciples and the actions of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and Peter and James and John and Andrew and Thomas and later the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, that great loss is worth all that we gain in Christ. Amen? Let me say that again. Great loss is worth all we gain in Christ. May God make our hearts believe that. Joseph understood this And not only is he risking a lot stepping up and out as a Pharisee, but he's also risking a lot going before Pilate again. I'm sure Pilate has had all that he can take with the demands of the Jewish religious leaders. And here you have another Jew asking him for a favor, another Jewish leader. I'm sure he was tired of being intimidated by these crooked blackmailers who threatened to tell Caesar on him if he refused to do what they say. They had forced him to violate his conscience. His precious wife was having nightmares. They openly opposed his decisions. He didn't like that one bit. You can be sure of that. Now you have another asking him for another favor concerning Jesus. Only family had the right to request the body of a condemned criminal who had been killed and then it wasn't necessarily granted all the time. He's dialing up a big favor here. In verse 58, the word translated ask is a bit stronger than that. It means he pleaded with Pilate. He begged for Jesus' body. Why? He loved Jesus. He loved Jesus. And, And we see that Pilate grants yet another request, and it's an important one. He allowed for Joseph, and we learn in John Nicodemus Another prominent Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, to take Jesus to be buried in the family tomb of Joseph. We're told it was a new tomb, which meant it was unused. Matthew tells us after Pilate ordered for Jesus to be given to Joseph, look at verse 59. Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, laid it in his own new tomb which he had cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. What a wonderful stand that Joseph takes here with the Jewish religious leaders probably looking on before Pilate. When most everyone else is in hiding, Joseph is taking a stand, standing strong for Jesus. And we learn from other places in Scripture that what Joseph does here. By taking Jesus' body from the cross to the tomb fulfills tons of prophecy as well. Let's take a moment to look at a few of these. One is found in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. This is a well-known chapter filled with fulfilled prophecy about Jesus' death. In verse 9, we are told by Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Spirit, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Truly amazing. Jesus was buried like every other person who has ever lived and died. He was buried in a place where sinners would eventually be buried and close to the tomb of others. But notice we're also told here by Isaiah hundreds of years before this event happens that the grave will be with the rich man. His grave will be with the rich man. Now whose tomb was Jesus in? Remember? Joseph of Arimathea. What are we told about Joseph in verse 57? He was a rich man. Fulfilled prophecy right there. Jesus was also in the tomb three days. This too fulfilled prophecy. Also the fact that Jesus was already dead at three days p.m. helped to fulfill another very specific messianic prophecy from the Psalms. Remember we said that Jesus was already dead when they came to him. It actually shocked Pilate that that was the case. But the reason why he was already dead is because Jesus's life wasn't taken. It was given. We talked about that last week, right? No one takes Christ's life from him. He lays it down. Because he was dead by three, they didn't have to break His legs. See, they had to do that in this day with those being crucified around Jerusalem before the Sabbath, before Passover, especially, so that they would go ahead and die and be carted off before 6 p.m. on Friday around Jerusalem. The Jews did not want dead criminals hanging around in Jerusalem on the Sabbath. So the Romans honored this by taking these dead men down, and breaking their legs would speed the process along, because to be able to breathe, one of the agonizing things about crucifixion, it was difficult to breathe from the way they were positioned, so they had to push up with their legs to get breath, and so breaking their legs would suffocate them and and speed the process, and they they would die quicker, and so they broke their legs, but they didn't have to do that with Jesus. This too fulfills prophecy. In Psalm 34 verse 20, we are told he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Fulfilled prophecy all over the place. Joseph was bold for Christ. He was and used in a mighty way by God. What what, what changed in him? What caused him to emerge from the shadows? Maybe It was the darkness that fell over the whole land while Jesus was being crucified. Maybe it was the the earthquake and the rocks splitting and the veil being torn. Maybe there was some great regret by him for not standing up and speaking out earlier. Who knows? All we know is while most of the disciples were nowhere to be found while they're in hiding two secret disciples from the Pharisees, from the Sanhedrin, emerge from the shadows and are standing strong for Jesus. Amazing. Maybe this is what you need to hear this morning, believers. Maybe you're here and you're in the shadows in your life. You're in the shadows. You're a follower of Christ, but you're in the shadows. You're not standing strong for Him. And you need to emerge from the shadows and step up and stand up and step out for Christ in your school and in the workplace before friends and in your home. I I pray God would give you the ability and the boldness and the desire and the grace you need to be a witness for Jesus. Well, Though there were not many standing for Christ after his death, other than these two unlikely Pharisees, notice a few women were still there. This is a major focus of Matthew. They don't leave Jesus' side, and there are great lessons to be learned from them. Point number two, notice the unwavering commitment of two faithful women. Look at verse 61. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were, were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Now remember, we talked about these two last week. This is Mary Magdalene a devoted Christ follower. And the other Mary in the passage, we learn from the other accounts, it's the mother of James, the wife of Cleopas. They were at the cross with Jesus during the darkest days of his life and and the darkest time in history. And they did not move further from him as he was arrested and tried and beaten and killed, but they moved closer to him, right? And here they are at the tomb next week we will see these two Marys at the tomb once again. They're going to be a witness to the empty tomb and the angels and the risen Lord. And Matthew, by mentioning these two Marys here at Jesus' tomb, he's making the point by mentioning them at the crucifixion and in the tomb and witnesses to the empty tomb, he's making the point they are always with Jesus. Always. They're faithful. When Jesus said, abide in me, that's what he had in mind. Be with me no matter what. That's where they wanted to be. Nowhere else. Do you want to be with Jesus? Do you want to spend time with him? Do you want to commune with him? When times are bad? When times are uncertain? When times are tough? dark difficult and sad do you want to be with him boy these women did they were unwavering in their commitment to christ may that be said of us believers they were there and an obvious question that needs to be asked once again is where on earth are the disciples where are they Remember, they were scattered. They did not want to be considered guilty by association, so they are nowhere near Calvary. And even John, who was at the cross, is not here with them now. He's later running with Peter when Mary Magdalene goes to find him in John, John's account. These women, they were there. They were there. These two strong, courageous, faithful women are with Jesus. Guys, can I say something? We do not have the market cornered when it comes to strength and courage and faithfulness. Do you know that? It took courage. It took boldness to stand like these ladies did for Jesus. While most of the disciples are in hiding, here these ladies are with Jesus at the cross and in the tomb, and they'll be there, the first to witness His resurrection. We've got lots of lessons to learn from these faithful women at Calvary. Well, there's one final group in this passage to look to and learn from. We've looked at a bold Pharisee and a couple of faithful Marys. Now let's look at Jesus' enemies. And I want you to notice the inability of Jesus' enemies. Amen? When you stand against God's plan and God's man, you're going to fail. That's what we learned from them. Verse. 62 through 66. Look at the passage. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests, are hard at work, and the Pharisees on the Sabbath, gathered before Pilate and said, Sir... We remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. Verse 66. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Folks, what happens here in this passage gives as much evidence as any to the person and work of Jesus. Notice they go out of their way to make sure that nothing happens inside that tomb where the body of Jesus lay. We're told after the day of preparation on the Sabbath day, these faithful Jews were hard at work, right? They claimed to be faithful. They shouldn't have been at work, but they were. They're making sure the body of Christ stays put. Notice in verse 62, we're told that the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. They're hanging out with the Gentile on the Sabbath, on Passover. They normally didn't do that, but they didn't care. They hated Jesus more than they loved their law. It bothered Pilate once again. Pilate just can't get away from these pesky Jewish religious leaders, and they say, Sir, we remember how that imposter, that's how they refer to Jesus, you can just hear the hatred in their voices, right? They said, we remember how that imposter said he would rise after three days from the dead. They said, because of this claim, order that the tomb be made secure until the third day. So his disciples won't come and steal his body away and tell his followers that he had risen from the dead. Now we know, looking back of the whole thing, the disciples had no such plans to do that, right? They weren't planning to do any such thing. They were in hiding, all shacked up somewhere, in a room somewhere. Last thing on their minds was to steal a body and trump up a resurrection myth. They were devastated after Jesus' death. They were in a helpless and a hopeless state. But the scribes and Pharisees, they were probably thinking about what they would do if they were the disciples because we know how unethical they could be. They were thinking, man, if we were the disciples, we'd steal the body and chop up a resurrection myth. We better stop them from doing that, right? So they said, make the tomb secure because if someone were to steal the body, that fraud will be worse than the first. And what they mean by that is that though it was bad for them that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah and had a a big following and that he healed the sick, taught with authority, claimed to be sent by God, what in their minds would be worse than the fraud of him claiming to be the Messiah and forgiving sin is if his body came up missing. So they order Pilate to make the tomb as secure as they can. And how does Pilate respond? He does it. Once again, he's just a pawn in their plan, but God's using him right as well. And why does he do this? Why does he give in? Well, because Jesus was convincing. You see, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, people were meeting him in the streets saying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were giving Jesus messianic accolades they, they, that brought about an unrest between Jesus' followers and the Jewish religious leaders. The Jewish religious leaders warned that if Jesus' body turned up missing, there would be even greater division between them and Jesus' followers. And Pilate didn't want that He knew he would have a greater problem on his hand, so he gives in. Look at what he says, verse 65. Again, we're almost finished. Pilate said this to them. You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. I love that. As secure as you can. They do the best they can, right? Verse 66. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. But their efforts were futile. All for not you know how I know that we'll come back next week and I'll tell you as we wrap up the series in the next two weeks actually we're going to be talking about Jesus's resurrection you know that we're going to see over the next two weeks as we wrap up this series the complete inability of God's enemies from stopping Jesus from coming up out of that grave and stopping God's kingdom from advancing. When you stand against God's plan and his man, you lose. You lose. And they're gonna they're gonna learn that. Well let me close out by saying this. As we reflect on these three groups of people, there's a, a simple question that comes to mind that I want to ask you today and leave with you. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus today. Maybe you're here today and you can relate to Joseph of Arimathea who at one time was a closet disciple of Jesus. Maybe you're here and and that's you. You believe in Jesus. You're trusting in him. You want to be more bold for him. You want to step up and step out like Joseph does in this text, but you're hesitant. My, My prayer for you this morning is that God, again, would give you the grace and the boldness and the ability that you need, the opportunities you need, the support you need to be more bold for him. Maybe you're here and you relate to the situation with the women in this passage. You've been following hard after Jesus, doing your best to follow him faithfully, but you have fallen on hard times. Some storms have have hit in your life. You've gone through difficulty and, and you feel lost and alone and this as if you're drifting spiritually. My prayer for you is that your response would be like the ladies in this passage. I pray that you would not drift, that you would not waver in your commitment, that you would cling to Christ through the storms of life that you're in, that you would look to him cling to him, commune with him, spend time with him in his word and in prayer. And my prayer is that Jesus would take you through that storm and bring you out of it more mature than when you went in. That's my prayer for you. Maybe there's a few of you here this morning who could relate to the unbelieving scribes and Pharisees here. Maybe you're not just adamantly opposed to Jesus, you're just indifferent. You're here and and you're not trusting in him alone for your salvation. Listen, if that's you, God puts you in the same camp with them. We don't want that. I don't want that. If this is you, my prayer for you today is that you would come to see Christ for who he truly is the King of all kings, the Lord of all, that you would come to understand and believe what He has accomplished for you. I pray you would understand and believe that He, God the Son, left the riches of heaven for you, became a man for you, lived the perfect life you could never live, a life without sin, in perfect fellowship with God the Father and he did it for you and he laid his life down for you was raised for you so that you through faith alone in him alone could have his righteous life in exchange for your sinful one. I pray if you do not you realize your sin and your need for salvation today you're not trusting in Christ, I pray you would today. You would turn from your sin and place your faith and trust alone in Christ alone and be saved. Let's pray.